Hello, and welcome to the Vergecast, the flagship podcast of the Verge Radio Network. <laughs> There's only one podcast. I'm still not over control alt delete being over. I'm still thinking about it. But anyway, look, this is the Vergecast, the flagship podcast of the Verge multi-channel media experience. I'm Neil Patel, I'm the editor-in-chief of the Verge, and I'm joined by kind of an OG crew today. Paul Miller is here. Hello. Dieter Bone is here. Hello. How's it going, Eli? It's going. Yeah, I was like I was I was putting together the rundown. This was a very it was like a lot of news this week and all of it was yeah. of medium size. I was unable to help you with the rundown because I was yelling at uh, Samsung executives about Bixby, which I think we should talk about later. Yeah. Um, so there was big tech news. We'll, we'll get to it in the middle. Uh, Travis Kalanick has resigned as Uber CEO. I mean, it's that's like huge news. Uh, yeah. Caitlin and I talked for a while. You'll hear it coming up on the show. She had a big dive into Tumblr. Tumblr is now owned by Verizon. That has lots of changes coming up for Tumblr. But I don't want to start with like the heavy stuff. I want to start with some like good, uplifting podcast. So Dieter. Oh, oh wait. Oh, and I want to point out, I don't think we're going to get to it. But Dan went to China. Dan Seifer went to China and wrote a huge feature on the OnePlus 5. Mm. And then we reviewed the OnePlus 5. Paul, you were just saying you enjoyed... The press conference. That, yeah. So that what happened? Illegally autoplayed on our on our website, and we're very mad about. Oh, that was the worst. Yeah, it was real bad. So, uh, to assure everybody that that's against our ad policy, and yeah. that that's being looked into. Yeah. But I can, that's, <laughs> that's what you need to know about one. As a frequent visitor of the birds.com, <laughs> I got to watch the one plus five press conference, <laughs> um, and uh, uh, they I mean, there was a lot of things that happened. There was there was a dog. Oh, yeah. Um, there was Emily... Uh, Radikowski. Radikowski, mm-hmm. um, who explained how the, 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 the dual cameras work. But my favorite part was the, the, the headphone troll. They showed the bottom of the phone, and they showed it with a USB-C plug and speaker grills. And they're like, we couldn't do a, a headphone jack. We're, you know, we're, this is so important. We're so focused on every design detail and so many iterations. We, we, you know, we wanted the most streamlined slick phone or whatever. There's no headphone jack. The future is wireless. And like they got like two minutes into this and then they were like, <laughs> just kidding. Of course there's a headphone jack. <laughs> and like the image literally changes and it shows where the actual headphone jack is. So they photoshopped their own phone. <laughs> So, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty happy with that. That's great. I'll take it. Yeah. I feel like Android, the essential phone is the last high-profile Android phone without a headphone jack, right? Like, you can't count whatever nonsense HTC is doing. No, there's Moto. Moto yeah, but, Z. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, man. But, like, isn't it, it's not all of them. No, right. The, the Z Play has one, but the standard Z does not. And well, I don't why do you Z, Z if force. not to play, yeah. he said confidently, <laughs> as though it was a phrase. I will say... I mean, you've noticed. I, I don't. I'm not living the dongle life anymore. Yeah, it's true. I have. You got AirPods. What are you doing? I got cheap Bluetooth headphones on Amazon. I got cheap wired headphones on Amazon. Lightning. No. Okay. For my to use with my laptop, which oh, still doesn't have a lightning plug, if you'll recall. <laughs> <laughs> and then I've got uh, my lightning AirPods. If I forget to charge my Bluetooth. Headphones. But you have oh the lightning earbuds. Not earbuds. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, the lightning earbuds that still yeah. they're like they're like messed up in one ear. Yeah, yeah. Um, Th- those headphones are not. So I basically last. have three pairs of headphones to to get through a day. Typically. Yeah. 
Uh, I was talking to somebody last night who told me that they hate AirPods for music but love them for phone calls even though they are fully aware that they look completely insane because they're just walking around talking yeah. like loudly yeah. to no one. They sounded great. I'll they do that. seem to be like the ideal thing. I just feel like I don't like the idea of spending that much money on headphones yeah, I'm like that, I'm, that don't sound amazing. Yeah. Anyhow, Dieter, you had an adventure. You went to a thing. You saw Scott Forstall this week. Yeah, I went to the Computer History Museum, which is in Mountain View, California. If you have never gone, uh, you should go. It is awesome. I recommend you go with my dad, who used all the computers in the Computer History <laughs> Museum. I could tell you all about it. Uh, he's, he's available for a small fee. Actually, I have no idea. Um, but they, they do these events, and they've been doing, um, you know, for the 10-year anniversary, like little things of people who, like, worked on the iPhone. And so... The big deal was Scott Forstall, uh, who has not talked about Apple basically at all since he left five years ago, 2012. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yep. Um, if you don't remember or you weren't around or you're too young because you're a teen, uh, back then there was this thing called Apple Maps, and it was awful. Uh, it was as bad a piece of software as Apple has ever shipped, I think. Yeah. Um, and they, you know, they took off Google Maps. They put on Apple Maps. It was terrible. Everyone got real, real mad. People drove into lakes. Uh, just everything was terrible. About <laughs> Apple it. fanboys, am I right? <laughs> the, the, the great thing about uh, that was was the, the the screenshots of their like fake three D photographic oh, yeah. flyover. Like looked like these natural disasters. <laughs> yeah. and it was just it was perfectly yeah. illustrated. This. So anyway, he got ousted in the fallout of that. Uh, well, or he left, but he got ousted. Because uh, one of the reasons was he refused to sign like the apology letter about Apple Maps, and so he left. And like Johnny Ive took over design, and Federighi took over like the other stuff, and he just went away and started producing Broadway plays, Thank which you. is a thing that you can do. Um, and so before Forstall came on, there were uh, three other uh, engineers. They like told amusing stories about developing the iPhone. Nothing that was like, oh my god, I had no idea. Like all slight variations on stories that we've heard before. Um, and then Forstall came on and didn't actually tell us anything new either. But it, what was interesting is his version of events is Steve Jobs' version of events that Steve Jobs told at the Code Conference, which is, uh, yeah, Conference. Steve and I were hanging out, and Steve uh, said, you know what, we should, we should make a tablet. Uh, he told the story that uh, Steve had a, a friend of his – his wife's friend's husband worked for Microsoft and was just a huge asshole. And Steve would have to hang out with this guy. And this guy would rub, try to rub Steve's face in Microsoft's tablet strategy. And he would just come come home and call up Scott Forstall and be like, this is bullshit. I hate this guy. We should make a tablet. I love that story. I love it's that story, story for any number of reasons. Yeah. Not least of which is the moment in time when your significant other makes you hang out with somebody you hate. And then that person is like, I'm better than Apple. <laughs> That's just a fantastic story. Yeah. Um, he also told the, the story that he had never told before was apparently he got this insane virus and was throwing up every day. And then every half a day, every twice a day and then eight times a day. And then like down to like every 15 minutes, just like in the hospital, couldn't stop puking doctors couldn't fix it, was going to die, had lost like 50 pounds. Steve called him every day. And at the 
end of months of this, uh, Steve calls him up at like 11 o'clock at night. It's like, I'm going to, I've got the best acupuncturist in the world and I'm going to bring her to you and she's going to fix you. And Forrestal is like, sure, I don't care, whatever, anything to stop this. I what? Sure. And if it, Steve was like, if they don't let me in, they, they, they won't like that. I've got this acupuncturist coming. I'll just dedicate a wing. And then she'll be able to come. <laughs> <laughs> and he claims the acupuncturist healed him in like two days. Huh. I think there's a significant, you know, we had Brian Merchant do a special episode of the show last week. His book is out. It's up to 10 years. I think there's going to be a lot of stories coming out. I think the sort of who's on the side of the accepted existing canon and who's trying to fill in the blanks is that there's just going to be ever more and more of that over time. I think it's really yeah. fascinating. Uh, but the important thing or the thing that struck me the most about watching Forstall is like, if the guy, the guy like talks like he's on a keynote stage, he's very personable. He's affable. He makes funny jokes. He knows how to tell a story. He knows how to hold your attention. Like the knock on Forstall was always like, Oh, you're uh you're just trying to be, you know, a little mini Steve jobs, but he does have that kind of, or some portion of that sort of natural charisma. Uh, so he's, he's really impressive. Um, I'm not deeply saddened that we don't have him in the tech industry. I won't go that far. Um, I'm not saying he's, he's a genius of all things, but it would be kind of, it would have been cool to see that kind of personality up on stage talking about products. And we, we just don't do that anymore. Don't have him anymore doing that. Yeah. He said he's not working on anything. Yeah. I think he's happy making plays. Yeah. And, uh, swimming in the ocean, uh, spearing fish and getting attacked by sharks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it would also have been interesting to see Apple with like, I don't know super aggressive product people like they have good product people like they make good products but i if you had one knock on apple it's that steve jobs was he had this huge team of executives who were all fighting they all don't they didn't like each other but he held them together because he was steve jobs and then obviously when he is gone they all started fighting and tim cook his instinct was to make the fighting go away by pushing all these people out and i think that is that is to Apple's detriment in, in some things. They're not as aggressive in, inside of the product because they don't have that internal competition. But who knows? Speaking of bad products, let's talk about Bixby. <laughs> so Bixby is out in beta for the S8. Have you tried? You have yeah. an S8. Have you tried it? I have. I have not. They have not flipped the switch on the uh, the preview for me yet. So I haven't actually personally tried it. But I literally just walked out of a demo an hour ago uh, of it, um, and I can. I don't know. I can tell you a little bit about it. Um, yeah. Let me just give you Samsung's line. Samsung doesn't believe, especially now that this is in a preview, that you should be thinking about this as a head-to-head competitor of Siri and Google Assistant and Alexa and Cortana. They think it's a intelligent interface. It's a new kind of interface more than it is like trying to like be smarter than you know Siri. So it's not, it's not so much about grabbing stuff from the web and interacting directly with services. It's about if you want to do something on your phone, you can just ask for it, and it will do the thing on your phone. Uh, I personally think that's very confusing because it also does a little bit of that other standard assistant stuff, just not as well. But they, you can do a stuff with, with Bixby like, hey, Bixby, find all my pictures from New York last month and put them in an album and share that album with my mom. And it will like jump through those steps automatically by like, you know, magically hitting the buttons on the interface on the back in the back end. 
and then do that thing. If, so their goal is if you would have to hunt around and tap crap on your phone to do it, you can just ask for it now at Bixby. And, but, ju- and just to be clear, the new thing that's rolling out is is doing it with is your the voice. voice. Right. That's that's the thing that's – well, it's in preview for however long it's going to be in preview. But, yo, like Chris Welch tried it. We got a hands-on uh, up with it, and um, it's definitely a beta. Yeah. It's a it's super failed beta. Out you know what I noticed? Yeah. And I, I don't want to – Samsung and Apple have diverged quite a bit. But he in you sh- just watch the video, and Welch asked for the weather and chosen the weather – and that screen looks exactly like Siri showing you the weather. Like it, and there's no reason for it. You don't have yeah. to use the same blue gradient. It doesn't have to look exactly like Apple's thing, and it still does. And it's just like, why do they keep shooting themselves in the foot like this? Like, there's, there's literally a, infinite ways to design a display of weather. What, what would be interesting to me is if I ask a buddy to do something for me, he'll probably just say, no, do it yourself. But if I, if I ask someone for information, he'll probably give it to me or say, I know someone who knows, or I'll like search for it on the web. Like, could you have a, a, a stack of assistants? Like you talk to Bixby and Bixby's like, I don't know. I'll ask Alexa. Oh God. <laughs> no, like, I really? asked this question and they're like, well, it sort of goes to Google already. Like, but what about the assistant? Because like yeah. they don't have skills like uh, Alexa has yet. Like it only is with apps on the phone, uh, and only a very small handful of them, and plus Samsung stuff. Uh, but I would love a world where, just like you said, like, hey Bixby, ask Google to do this thing, and Bixby's like, oh, fine. <laughs> I hate that guy. <laughs> uh, a little bit of other Samsung news, which is interesting to me, just because it's not a brand name you thought they were going to lean into. Galaxy Note 8. Yeah. Reportedly arriving in August. That's like a – are they just assuming that everyone thought it was the 7 that was bad, right? Like that's a big move to like come back out with this brand that literally exploded. I think it's just as likely that people thought it was Galaxy as that people thought it was Note, that people thought it was 7. Yeah. So so any combination of those things was dangerous. It's just – you. I don't know. What, what's the value of the Note brand? Like – they could have named it anything else. I think else. it's super valuable in Korea. Uh, I think yeah. people love it over there. I mean, people we loved it here before it started we exploding. Did. Yeah. If they named it something else but ha- offered the same product, it would seem like And they won't get the like local news something. headline that's like Samsung is back with the Galaxy Note 8. This time it won't. Like you can't no, I do mean, that. They were going to get that they were going to get that headline no matter what. If they release another phone with a stylus in it, they're gonna. It, the, like, ah, I don't yeah. think the local news is like, nah, it's the one with the stylus. We got to run the exploding package. No, they'll do it, but then they'll have to say, but they changed the name. Like if they just, if they just like grit their teeth, muscle through it, and release another note and accept the local news bad press, that's more likely to succeed than renaming the thing. That's true. I get the thinking. Have I ever told you how much I hate the local news? When I think of bad sloppy coverage, I always I my instinct is that. to talk. We were when we were launching Verge Science, we were watching all the videos before they go up, and we we're talking about it. And Liz was like, "Dude, you, you keep on just dissing the local news and all of their science coverage." Uh, I, I would say I I had a, a bank that loaned me some money. Yeah, 
And at one point, the bank did something really bad. Yeah. And then they like mailed me and like, if you think you're part of this class auction, you yeah. should let us know and things like that. And then like like a few months later, the bank's like, hey, we got a new name now. Yeah. It's like, it's like, oh, you did something really bad, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is, uh, the reason Xfinity is a brand name exists mm. is because Comcast, I don't know, five, six years ago, realized that their brand name was so bad. Yeah, that they were just going to start selling Xfinity. I don't know that it worked for it. The reason they renamed Charter and Time Warner Cable Spectrum because they were like, no one will ever know. But everyone knows. <laughs> I finally got the mailer for FiOS. Yeah, like it wasn't a, a guy showing up at my house. Uh, this is inside knowledge for people who've listened to past episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. got to be deep. It's a, it's a, it's a promotion. It's eighty dollars for TV, phone, and internet. It's a gigabit Giga, internet. Gigabit. Uh, Verizon's definition of gigabit, by the way, uh, is 800 megabits per second. (laughs) It's like, like, yeah, that's not even close. It's not even like 950. It's it's all the way up on the speedometer. It's like, there's nothing past that. It's literally the fastest. Uh, It's like a two-year contract. I'm probably not going to do it. Just letting people know. Yeah. It's just like letting Verizon (laughs) people know right now. Uh, Couple of ec- uh, Amazon Echoey things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually re- I reviewed the Dash Wand, which is their new little yeah. little, little yeah, I beeper. Got one. I just opened it up yesterday. Um, it is. I would describe it as a spectacularly boring product. Uh, yeah. If you glued that to your shirt, yeah, it's basically Star Trek. Yeah. Then people can walk up to you and just beep <laughs> barcode <laughs> scan <laughs> vertically on your chest. Uh, it, so here's what I think is interesting about it. this. Is actually, a third generation of this hardware. So there was the original dash with just a barcode scanner. Mm-hmm. Then they put out the second generation. They made it a little bit smaller, added a button and voice, and it used a weird proprietary voice thing. Mm-hmm. Now this is the third generation, and really what they've done is swapped out the weird proprietary voice thing for Alexa, which makes sense. They're giving it away for free. Well, it's twenty bucks, but you get a credit. You, yeah, you instantly Fresh. get a. No, 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 no. You, oh, no. It's twenty bucks. You immediately if you it's twenty bucks if you're a Prime member, and then you immediately get a twenty dollar credit to Amazon. Okay. So it's just directly free. And then you get three months of Amazon fresh grocery delivery for free, which is like usually 15 right. bucks a month. So it's actually – they're paying you to take it in the end right? if you use the grocery part. I think we've talked a lot on this show about Amazon is just going to start giving Echo devices away for free. So this is a first stab at it. It's limited. It can't play music. It can't set timers. There's a whole bunch of stuff it can't do. Oh, it can't set timers? You cannot, which is weird because it's like for, for cooking. cooking? Yeah. But that's can't that's do the it. thing I use Siri for the most um, is timers. But it can control your smart home stuff, so you like put it by your bed. You can like wake up in the morning and like w- like hold a wand to your mouth and be like lights. <laughs> It'll like do it, <laughs> which is cool. Uh, and it's really good at uh, like identifying barcodes and adding it to your Amazon cart. Here's the thing I noticed that was it. It occurred to me that we don't think of any other assistant like this because you have to push the button to engage it, and it's designed specifically for shopping. You don't have to use verbs. Like, you can just hold it up and be like, grapes, and then it'll, like, buy grapes. So instead of saying, Alexa, would you please yeah. add grapes to my shopping right. list? Right. Like, and that, like, you don't need to say please and thank you to Alexa, but like, all kinds of people do. Like, my sister has basically told her kids to say please because she doesn't want them to, right. right, the robots to enslave us because of lack of courtesy. But because you're not at all speaking in sentences, mm. there's, it doesn't even, it, the instinct to, be fake polite to the robot is gone. And it's wild. Like, 
I immediately, I noticed, like, I'm being very rude right now. Mm-hmm. I'm just walking <laughs> around my house shouting nouns. <laughs> it's like seeing if they will be shipped to me. Uh, so did, you, I, did you buy anything? Uh, I, I mean, I was it, the weird thing about it is it like it's primarily designed to scan things you have. Right. Yeah. So like, I was like, should I buy this? And I was like, wait, I have, I have, have all it. of these things. Uh, so it, we don't know, it sticks in the fridge. Dieter points out to me that it is wild that you can get a best in class AI assistant for free now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, that's Amazon's big secret. They're just going to start. I think the dot, which is. 50 bucks, but regularly discounted to 40. Uh, and this thing, no one else is competing at that bottom of the market, which is where the disruption happens. Like, Casey wrote a piece for us this morning about how no yeah. one's making the smart speaker anybody wants. Like, the, the HomePod is the closest thing to it, but it only supports Apple Music, so it's obviously very limited. Um, and the comments are just people saying, just buy an Echo Dot and plug it into some good speakers and you get the thing that you want. That, that to me, is that's the real story of the dash wand is they're they're just saturating the market with like free versions of this such that when you start to buy your like smart home ecosystem it's a no-brainer to pick the alexa one yeah instead of the home kit one or whatever um other other piece of news echo shows coming soon and like the flood of press releases about it are coming and the thing that they promised was that you would be able to just talk to it and display like smart home devices Mm -hmm. So there's already a bunch of smart home cameras that you can just talk to it. And I, that's not like huge news. I don't, it's not a reason to buy it, but it's just one more of those like ecosystem pieces for Alexa that literally no one else has. And Google sort of has it, but your TV has to be on. Well, no, your TV doesn't. <laughs> 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 your TV doesn't have to be uh, on. Yeah, you just have to have HDMI CEC enabled so that the Chromecast will, you know, activate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that's uh, definitely going to work. Chromecast that's the Chromecast that's built into my Vizio wakes my TV up. Well, sure, because it's built in. So, you, but you have to. Your TV has to be right. Right, it's not like a default, and I think the Echo Show. Although just... I will say, Chromecast has been doing this thing. It's, I haven't changed my network configuration at all. I just Chromecast something from my phone from the, the official YouTube app, and it plays for like twenty minutes, and then all of a sudden it flashes like, "Sorry, we forgot what we were doing." It, yeah, the message is literally something like that, and it's like, like. Hey, I I'm grateful for the convenience that Chromecast allows me and stuff like that. But I'm not going to build my like like real setup, like my core of how I get entertainment around Chromecast if it's going to do this all the time. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the Chromecast flakiness is it's it's just there, right? Like yeah. they need to build into the is it the Home app, the Cast app, they renamed it. It's the Home It's a Home app. Home app. Uh they just need to build controls into that app that are like. Well, they're there sometimes. The reason I can't use Chromecast and we just always end up bailing and get, going back to the Apple TV. I've talked about this before. It's one, we want to pick up what we're watching together instead of just me looking at my phone. And two, the controls in like the notification area on Android or, you know, it's on iPhone in a weird spot um, tend to disappear. And it is very, very difficult to figure out from app to app how to turn on closed captioning. And yeah. we're just we're old people that turn on closed captioning on certain shows. I'm uh, all in on closed captioning. Don't understand British accents. Like, did you try to watch The Crown? It was impossible. 
I I think the era of prestige. T- Wait, here, I, I, here's a pitch. Here's my pitch. Do you watch closed captioning for British shows? Do you really do? Yeah, that? of course. Like almost all you shows. I you think don't have to for a Great British Baking Show. You can usually pull that one off. Here's what I'm saying. Prestige t- the era of prestige t- TV is enabled by closed captioning. Yeah. That's my pitch to you. Yep. No argument. People, don't even people think people mumble a lot more yeah. on premiere. Prestige, um, prestige TV television. is all about quiet, slow mumbles. You should yep. turn on the captions. I want to live in a world where the original version of the Batman movie with Bane in it is released non here's the thing i misunderstand people all the time <laughs> i have a hard time understanding people and i'm a mumbler yeah. yeah so i know i'm part of the problem so it breaks my immersion if i know what everybody's saying <laughs> <laughs> you're like this is way too much unlike reality like i watched the new train spotting i didn't understand a tenth of the word said in that Scottish accent, but I want to know. Like the, the, the shows are where everybody's talking really quietly and, and like mumbly. And like you have, to, it's like that asshole that talks really quietly when you know that they don't have to, but it right. forces you to like lean in and pay attention. And they actually like command the room by speaking really quietly. Cause everybody has to shut up to listen to them. That's, that's the crown. That's the whole show. Like, <laughs> you have to pay attention to me. It's like, but what if I want to, what if I want to get it? Okay, fine. I'm listening. Yeah. You just have to like lean in and stare at it and focus. It's really annoying. Sometimes you just want some crap on. Hmm. Yeah. Then right. the crap you've chosen is the crown. <laughs> uh, all right. Here's what's going to happen. This was the light chat segment of the Vergecast this week. Mm-hmm. Just some stuff going we, on. Yeah. Hanging in my buds. We led with dessert. Yeah, and now we're going to go into the heavy stuff. So I'm going to read an ad. Uh, we're going to run. I talked to Caitlin Tiffany. Uh, she doesn't like it when I call her a superstar reporter, so I didn't at the beginning of the segment, but I'm telling you now. She's a star reporter on The Verge. I talked to her for a few minutes about what's going on at Tumblr, which is super interesting. Tumblr was a huge supporter of net neutrality in 2015. David Karp basically yelled at President Obama uh, and convinced him to like shift his policy position and like push the FCC. Now that shit's owned by Verizon. So like there's a lot going down there. So talk to Caitlin. Uh, and then we're gonna come back. We gotta we have to talk about Uber. It's a huge story, so we're gonna do that. But first let me read this ad. Do you have internet at home? Which I think is a question for Vergecast listeners is almost a resounding yes. But look, if you have internet at home, uh, you probably have a Wi-Fi router. If you have a Wi-Fi router, that means cyber criminals can hack into your home network and including your Wi-Fi, access your credit card information that may be stored on the laptop or your family photo stayed on your phone. They could even hack your baby monitor, which is all pretty creepy. So Norton, by a semantic, the leader in digital security for over 30 years, has built a secure Wi-Fi router called the Norton Core. Uh, it looks wild. It's like a what's the it's like a spiky circle. There's a name for that. It's pr- probably ends with like a hedron. Like it's, a, it's a, a fidget like, spinner like, tetrahedron. Like, That's what it is. Something hedron. Uh, look Underneath that exterior, the Norton Core is powerful security technology that helps turn your Wi-Fi network into a digital fortress. It discovers your personal connected devices. It identifies vulnerabilities, helps secure them. If a device is breached, Core can quarantine the threat. It has parental controls that let you decide when and where your kids can go on the internet. And there's a 1.7 gigahertz dual-core processor inside to deliver blazing fast speeds. So get the security you need and the speed you want with Norton Core. Go to norton.com slash revergecast. You save $30 if you pre-order before July 1st. That is norton.com slash revergecast. Uh, the thing you're looking for, by the way, 
is um, oh, it's not dodecahedron. It's um, icosahedron. Oh yeah, spiky, spiky circle. Okay. Now, anyway, let's listen to Caitlin. We'll be right back. So hey, I have Caitlin Tiffany here. Hello. The Verge's own reporter. I just had a phrase. <laughs> I was going to say star reporter, but I don't like making you nervous in the jump. A reporter. Just one a of, regular. Yeah, just like one of dime a dozen. That's not true. <laughs> but anyway, so you, uh, I'm going to say one line here. I used to work for a company called AOL. Mm-hmm. That company was bought by Verizon. Yes. That company then bought Yahoo. Mm-hmm. Yahoo owns a company called Tumblr, which they bought for a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. It's now worth like 10 cents. They literally wrote down the value of Tumblr for a billion dollars, like twice. I think it's worth like two hundred and eighty million now, as uh, of last year. So yeah, um, so ne- and they're merging AOL and Yahoo into this thing called Oath, which we have made fun of on the Vergecast many, many times. Tumblr will now be part of Oath, mm-hmm. which is very confusing for everyone. Tumblr is really important to people. I, you cover Tumblr a lot. Yeah. How, just describe what it. I, like, I'm not, like, a huge Tumblr user. Just describe the import of Tumblr to, like, particularly young people. Okay. Um, first of all, I'll say there is an old episode of What's Tech called What's Tumblr, oh, yeah. um, which people can listen to. Um, <laughs> I want to hear more in depth. Um, I guess, like, so the side of Tumblr that I've covered is more, like, the culture side, the fandom side. Um, I think they've done a really good job the last couple of years is becoming, like, the f- official home of fandom on the internet. So it's important to people who want to participate in a community that's not toxic, like the ones that you might find on Reddit. And I think like a big reason for that is just like the basic structure of the site is very like to participate, you have to do a value add, like to be in a conversation, you have to reblog something and add something to it that's like cool or interesting or funny enough that someone's going to reblog what you said. Um, It's not like just an open comment thread. So I think the reason it's important to a lot of people is that it still produces a lot of culture and it does so in a way that's not horrifying, which is vanishingly rare on the internet. It is. Tumblr is run by a guy named David Karp who founded it in 2014 and 15. Virtual listeners know we covered the hell out of net neutrality. We're covering the hell out of net neutrality again now in 2017. But in 14 and 15, Karp was a big fighter for net neutrality. I actually attended like a secret meeting at Tumblr what? headquarters. This is ridiculous ridiculous story where they told me what their big plans to rally the New York tech scene around net neutrality were. All the people who ran that meeting are gone from Tumblr now. Mm-hmm. David Karp is still there. And now it's part of Verizon. And you just did a bunch of reporting about how Verizon appears to be changing what's happening inside of Tumblr. Yeah. So I guess like in the first place, this story was one that's like pretty obvious, right? Like Verizon is a huge ISP. Verizon hates net neutrality. I mean, well, they try to yeah. Twist the words, it's very whatever. Confusing, but um, yeah, I don't want to. <laughs> we need forty-five minutes with a net neutrality explainer, <laughs> and then we can have the conversation. No, um, <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> but it's like fairly obvious that their political aims are directly at odds with each other. So basically, asking people like, "What's going on? Why aren't you talking about net neutrality anymore?" They're like. We're not allowed to. <laughs> um, like it was just like pretty. It's pretty obvious. So um, people were. I think a lot of people at Tumblr that I spoke to are like nervous about it because one of the main draws of working there is that um, it has such an emphasis on community and they do a lot of political stuff. I mean, and like David Carp has a huge public partnership with Planned Parenthood. He's on their board. They talk about stuff that's even kind of sensitive, like gun control. I know they were like really on the travel ban thing. They were really vocal about that. So I think like it's worrisome to people, even if they aren't personally invested in net neutrality, like having that taken off the table is kind of like, well... 
what is Tumblr now if we're not allowed to talk publicly about the things that we care about? So, so But you talked to employees. What were they saying to you? Well, they basically said that they had kind of asked in recent all-hands meeting, like, um, what's going on? Why aren't we participating? There's a big, like, day of action coming up, and Tumblr is the only notable, um, like, New York City tech company from the 2014 coalition um, that's not participating. So they asked, and this Yahoo VP uh, who's been promoted so that David Karp is reporting to him directly. It's kind of like, I don't know, it's not my problem. It's above my pay grade. <laughs> above my pay grade, the best phrase to hear from your boss. Yeah, yeah. And I guess like the the whole tone of that conversation was like really disconcerting to people. One person I spoke to, I didn't quote this in the story because it didn't really wasn't really relevant, but one, um, uh, this executive said like Facebook is a failure and oh like <laughs> basically argued that Tumblr's content is so valuable, which I agree it is valuable, but that Tumblr's content is so valuable that it should be like, it should be a player on a much larger scale than it is. And he kind of like joked that they should be replacing cable TV, which I don't really understand that <laughs> at all. Um, Especially if it's built on fandoms. Yeah, yeah. Like they require um, the TV shows. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And then one of the engineers who works there told us basically that um, David Karp said in a weekly meeting with the engineering team, because he's still basically a product person, like so he meets with them and th- that would be like his his closest group there um he said that he's not allowed to talk about net neutrality in public anymore yeah which Um, makes sense right i mean verizon really is the dual track of what verizon is doing so they're advocating against net neutrality over here but then they're buying basically all these web pages mm -hmm. that's what buying the huffington post that's what buying well AOL bought the huffington post and they bought (laughs) AOL's tangled web uh and they bought yahoo which has tons of web pages and they want to put ads on all those web pages. That's Verizon's media business model. It just doesn't seem like, like you said, the story is really obvious on its face, right? Mm-hmm. You got bought by a big company. They pay your paycheck. Your personal policies don't align with the company's policies. Your paycheck is at risk if you yeah. run around saying that your part of the organization is going to change. But it, I think there's a lot in your story about Tumblr being a company or an organization, I guess, now. It's not a company anymore if it gets bought by another company, is it? Is it Verge a company? This is very confusing. Anyway, um, <laughs> But like to say that it's this group of people has a shared set of values and those values feel under attack by Verizon. Mm-hmm. Like, how is there a sense that they can change it? Is it just over? Like, what was your sense of the the course of action here? Well, I got the sense that people were still hopeful. I think like there's, I think David Carp is like really a beloved figure. Um, I think like he has a pretty good public persona, but I think within the company, like there's a lot of loyalty to him. And um, I think like people believe that he wants to do the right thing. I don't know. I I don't know if it's like naive to think that he's suddenly going to be like, whatever, I don't care. I'm going to talk about net neutrality all the time. I don't know (laughs) if that's like realistic, but I I think like I I got the sense that there's still a lot of people there who like consider Tumblr like more of a a community than a company, which sounds like a BS line. But I mean, I think there's some merit to it just based on the way that David Karp has run Tumblr. I don't think like he's ever somebody who wanted Tumblr to be a huge company. And that's like probably part of the reason that it didn't make any money (laughs) and um, (laughs) like has reportedly slowly been dying. But, you know, I've been on it since I was a teenager and it still exists for now. So that's something. Is it the same? Like, have there been big product changes to Tumblr over the course of the time that you used it? I don't think so. I know like they're always... 
they're always going back and forth. And we were just talking about one of these changes yesterday on like how to make like Tumblr used to have this reputation of like it's it's all porn. Like no matter what you do, you're going to be porn. So like they've they've like fiddled a lot with adjustments as far as like how to get rid of NSFW content or how to like not have it pop up on people by surprise. And they just like made a change where you have to be logged in to see sensitive content, which I think has not gone over well from what. Um, we've been seeing, but I, no. To be fair, no platform ever makes a change that goes over well. That's true. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't think I don't think Tumblr's had that many huge product changes. I know like the app used to be terrible. People hated the app for a long time. It seems like it's gotten better. It seems like they've dedicated a lot of resources to the app. It used to be like the only place on the internet with gifts, um, <laughs> <laughs> and I've kind of gotten away from them as like their trademark. But I would say like, yeah, no, Tumblr's pretty much the same website. I can't, I can't remember anything that was notably different when I was like in high school derping around on Tumblr than, <laughs> than now when I go home from work and derp around on Tumblr. Perfect. Um, well, I, the reason I ask is you quoted a blog post in your piece that I think was like the protective purgatory of Yahoo. Mm-hmm. So Marissa Meyer, who just has not a great reputation, I yeah. think, with ex-Yahoo employees or Yahoo employees. She spent a billion dollars on this company. She bought a million other companies. She installed the CEO of a company called Flurry over Tumblr, which is crazy if you think about their like relative value in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, it just <laughs> like you bought Tumblr and you bought this like weird app analytics company, and then you like you inst- that's weird, but she did it. <laughs> it just seemed like they didn't know what to do next, right? Mm-hmm. She bought it and she had no idea what to do next, so it just got to be by itself, yeah, and people weren't paying attention to it. And now it feels like Verizon's paying a little bit more attention or too much attention, and that means change is coming, and that feels terrifying. Yeah. Um, From what I heard, speaking to people about this story, like Yahoo had done some things to Tumblr that didn't go over well. Like I know they they changed the sign-in process, so you had to have a Yahoo account to sign in. Um, Everyone's got one of those. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, And like the engineer I spoke to said it took like two years for them to implement it, and like David Karp was fighting it the whole time. Um, And it was a terrible disaster, and they had to abandon it like months after um, putting it on the site. And... I guess like there's been a um, there's been like a hiring freeze there also, especially in the engineering department. And like he basically said like things break all the time. Um, Yahoo didn't care. Like Yahoo just kind of was like letting Tumblr rot. So like I don't know if like negligence is necessarily like <laughs> better than a strong hand, but it, like I feel like it completely like remains to be seen what Verizon even plans to do with Tumblr. I don't understand why they don't just sell it, but whatever. I, I don't know ad- what they want to do with it. Caitlin knows this. I've advocated <laughs> Fox Media by Tumblr. It didn't go anywhere. <laughs> like usually I get replies to my emails at this company. No one replied to that email. Yeah, um, I don't know, I think it'd be a good idea. Well, it's a, I think the question is like, is the future of Tumblr more like Craigslist? Which is like happy abandonware that continues to putter along, and it's fine, and it's just always going to be that thing. Or are they going to try to make it Facebook? And the argument for trying to make it Facebook is actually quite strong. The biggest apps in the world are all based on communities: mm-hmm. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever. It's not media people programming stuff and putting it on your home screen. It's like you tapping into like networks and communities. So mm-hmm. you can see the argument. Well, we we could probably get an app on your home screen if we just make Tumblr bigger. But that changes its like essential character. Yeah, I think like the problem with with trying to scale Tumblr in that way is that like Tumblr is the like opaque by nature. Like there's you don't see people's follower accounts. You don't see how people are 
interacting with each other outside of like individual posts in your dashboard, it's very hard to get a sense of what's going on on Tumblr unless you really invest like a ton of time in it. And the communities are like pretty insular. Um, so I would be surprised if Verizon tried to do something big with Tumblr without making like follower counts public or something like that because it, it it's just like it's it's really hard to see. It's really hard to see through Tumblr. It's like it's very dense. Right. Um, and, but those are the changes if you have to make that change the essential nature of Tumblr. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think I think that would I think it would be I hope it goes I hope it just becomes Craigslist. Yeah, I hope it just kind of like <laughs> or like V Bulletin or like whatever. Like all the, yeah. like the nasty form software that just like powers weird forms on the internet. It'd be nice if it just got to hang out. That'd be nice for me personally. Or yeah. <laughs> Verizon starts layering all the play ads on it. I don't yeah. I hope I don't know if this is coming through. I don't trust Verizon at all. Like <laughs> I, I think their their plan to do with this huge collection of scale is I don't think it's rooted in a notion that they need to make great things. I think it's rooted in the notion that they just need to get big and put ads on the internet that ruthlessly track you, mm-hmm. which is why they, for example, supported a bill to cancel data privacy protection. <laughs> like, I, it just what they, if you think about what AT&T is doing, and I'm not some like great lover of AT&T, but AT&T is like buying Time Warner. They're trying to get HBO. They're trying to get Game of Thrones. They're, they're trying to play it that in like, I don't know, prestige level of content, if mm-hmm. that's a phrase. Comcast, which disclosure owns a chunk of this company, <laughs> but NBC Universal, like their version of prestige is basically like gluing minions to everything. But yeah. they're happy about it. <laughs> right. Like they're but they're operating on that level. They own NBC. They own literally Universal, it's the name of the thing. Verizon is buying dead web properties to try to get scale. And I think it's just a very different attitude. Mm-hmm. And I think it's dangerous for some of these like beloved things. Yeah. Well, like Tumblr is also like unique to Tumblr more so than I think like Facebook or Twitter or even Reddit is that like people actually make stuff to put on Tumblr. It's all like real user created content. It's not just like dumb tweets. And like <laughs> like using that. I don't know. Sorry, Twitter. <laughs> well, F you, Jack. <laughs> but, I mean, like people make art. People put their yeah. art on Tumblr. People put like. Um, people put their people share their music on Tumblr. Like it's yeah. like using that um, to make money for like a huge ISC. Like that, I feel like is just it's a little weirder. It's a little like more. It it feels like insidious to me. Like the way that people have, and that's not unique to Verizon, like or even like Tumblr fandom, but like that people love exploiting people for the things that they love <laughs> like movie studios have people design snapchat filters for free now because they'll do it because they love star wars so much they'll do anything you know like coming up with a strategy to make tons of money off of the stuff that like teenagers are doing for free on the internet is like a pretty broad trend yeah. um and it's unfortunate so what happens next i mean i besides us ruthlessly exploiting <laughs> teens what, what what happens next for tumblr I don't know. Someone tell me. Someone hop in my DM. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get out. We have like we have secure drop. You can go to the pitch page at the Verge and get a hold of us. Caitlin has an email. Your, what's your Twitter? K A I T underscore Tiffany. Okay. Well, we're. I want Caitlin to to pursue this story because I think ultimately what happens to all of the things that Verizon bought with Yahoo and AOL is going to be very interesting. And it's gonna. Verizon's a huge company. They're not. You can't ignore them. There are huge swaths of the country where they're your only choice for ISP. This net neutrality thing, regardless of whether you've heard our 45-minute explainer <laughs> episodes on it. By the way, there's a great episode of What's Tech called What is Net Neutrality. Um, 
it's it's happening, right? The train's coming, and Verizon's going to be a major player here, and it's going to affect a bunch of properties that I think people take for granted. So we've been talking about Tumblr this whole time. Verizon now owns Yahoo Fantasy Football, which is like a crazy <laughs> thing for an ISP to own. Um, they own Yahoo News. Like, they own a news organization. So there's just so much that they have, and they're going to try to figure out how to make it more valuable than the price they pay for it. And that means change is coming. So hear about any of this stuff, particularly Tumblr. Get a hold of Caitlin. Yeah. She's on it. All right. Thanks, Caitlin. Okay. So that was Caitlin. Caitlin's great. Uh, I want to add to this whole net neutrality thing. It's just a, just a little fact. Mm-hmm. So all of the ISPs claim that they need to reverse Title II because it's hurting their investment. But this week, Jay-Z announced his new album, 444, <laughs> and it's a Sprint exclusive <laughs> And to get that Sprint ex- exclu- exclusive, Sprint bought 33% of title, which just implies that Sprint has enough extra money lying around. Uh, I've, been, I've been reading a book about economics. Uh-oh. And when you have a scarce resource, uh, no, let's see. <laughs> <laughs> you almost got there, buddy. So the, the, idea, the idea would be, that you see a, a, a higher return, higher return on alternative rep, uh, investments because you don't see as high of a return as you would want on this sure. infrastructure. Sure, no, that is the argument. Right. I'm sure. just saying. I, I'm just saying. I argument. can read books <laughs> <laughs> and almost get there. <laughs> big takeaway. No, it's a fair argument. It's just funny that yeah, they're all like, is. "We can't." But hey, would you like a Jay Z record? We bought a lot of those. We bought a record company. What, the, Shouldn't Sprint be spending its money? I don't know on its network. Like, yeah. Shouldn't you first have a competitive network? Mm. Are they? Are they really like? When was the last time really these like? Think? I feel like these weird tie-ins with like carriers were things that would happen were happening like pre-iPhone. Yeah, yeah, all over the place. Like these weird branded exclusive. I mean, you could buy like an ESPN phone. Like it was like stupid stuff. But this one is to me, it's like our network is bad. But do you like Jay Z? You'll deal with it. Like that's a weird. Anyway, that's not the point. Okay, we got to talk about Uber. We just have to. So, I'm sure if you're paying attention to any news, because this is like front page, like New York Times is sending breaking news alerts about this. Yep. Travis Kalanick and Uber have had a monstrously bad run. Uh, Andy Hawkins, The Verge's transportation reporter, just looks exhausted because his entire life is dominated by bad news coming out of Uber. Um, And one day he'll get a break. But that day is not coming soon. (laughs) Um, So obviously, I think as you know, we wrote a great piece about it. Actually, Andy wrote it. Um, There's a woman named Susan Fowler who wrote a blog post about pervasive sexual harassment inside of Uber. Four months later, basically the entire company, the entire top of this company is wiped clean. There's no head of technology. There's no CFO. There's no COO. There's no CEO. The board is changing over. Uh, and the, the question I have, I, I'm, you should go read the news, but like Travis was supposed to be on stage at the Code Conference, pulled out. Kara wrote a blog post. There was, I don't know if there was some chance that it would change, but then his parents were in a boating accident. Yeah. One of them died. Like then he took a leave of absence and then his board, his investors, pushed him to resign, like just fully resign and walk away. So he's going to stay on the board. And now there's no, like this machine in our economy, like one of the great, I think it's the most valuable private company in the world, Mm. right? This like huge 
thing that we think about. One day you're going to push the button and the robot car is going to show up. Like that's the Uber promise. Has literally no le- leadership whatsoever. And I, to me, the question is just like, do they survive or have they just paved the way for a company like Lyft? Right? Like how do you, how do you reboot that thing? How do you route? And like the engineers today, like there's 12, Uber has 12,000 employees. Like they have a petition circulating to reinstate him. So there's like controversy within the company mm-hmm. about him leaving. Again, he's still like on the board. He's still a huge shareholder, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I think that that question is, is, is basically how much of Uber's success was based on like sort of this outlaws or scofflaw like style. Like there was a story like, I don't know, six months back of like how they sort of evade like regulators. Um, there was this whole thing that they did with saying our, our self-driving cars are totally great. Yeah. And then they were not great. They were not great. And they were illegally running anyway. Yeah. So it, like they didn't want to get the license for them. And the license costs like 400 bucks. So how much of Uber's success? And and also I think one of the important like interesting things that Uber did, like the, the surge pricing uh, like a lot of the things that Uber has did and has done uh, that inspired like competitors like advertise on. Like when you're riding the subway in New York, you see a bunch. You don't see Uber ads. You see ads for other car companies that say, unlike Uber, we don't do search pricing. Uh, so how much of Uber's success is based on like that really aggressive move or and how much of it is it's just being like a first mover and and they'll just like dwindle over time? Yeah. So actually, I think you're right. I think that um, the question of how much of Uber's success was based on it being, um, you know, a company that like did what it wanted and ignored regulations and just pushed it through. I actually think a fairly significant amount, but all that work is done now. And it seems like it's not that hard to make a, a ride hailing app that is like 80% as good as Uber. Right? How many of them are there in New York? Like a million. In in Austin, Uber and Lyft got kicked out, and there were like three the next week, and that's what we use at South by Southwest. Yeah, but then they let Uber, Uber and Lyft back, back in, and now those apps are gone. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, so the the question of if Uber keeps flailing, is someone going to swoop in? To me, it's like does that last 20% of like how of Uber's technology that made it slightly better better matter and then the, the knock on question the next question is the end goal for Uber was to replace public transit and have self-driving robot cars and like change the world and you can't do that without uh, a massive amount of money and a massive giant company and i do not see even lift you know, that going down that path anytime soon. Um, maybe one of the, you know, frightful five big giant companies will decide, ah, sure, we'll do a ride hailing and like Google will do it or something. But I think the most likely outcome is we're just going to have a bunch of competitors that are like 80% as good at their technology as Uber. Uber is going to kind of like flail around for a while. And this idea that there's going to be a unified, coherent ecosystem of, of like car sharing and, you know, getting around via an app or via even self-driving cars is just going to take a little bit longer. Uh, and like, the, it, it, unless it's like Ford, 
or you know gm figures it out but uh. if uber let's say uber is is not at all affected by this keeps on the you know their exact same path towards self-driving cars which they do not seem to be the leader in currently no they, i mean <laughs> their big move was to hire a guy hire a guy from alphabet who stole like sixteen thousand pages worth of files yeah, oh, it came out that they maybe knew. <laughs> yeah, right. So, yeah. So, but let's say they're on the on track and they like get a self driving car up and running, and now you can hail it from the app. What is stopping any of the the other companies who are spending billions of dollars on making self driving cars partnering with one or multiple of these like eighty so percent apps? Right. So GM has a huge investment in Lyft. Mm. Um, they have a huge investment in cruise automation. Uh, Ford has its mobility. Like all the car companies know, this is going to happen, right? And uh, Mark Fields, who was the CEO of Ford, is gone now. His argument, basically, at the time, was we have to make these investments. We have to do these things because ultimately, we will end up selling more cars. Mm-hmm. Like when I sell you the consumer a car, most of the time, it just sits there, mm-hmm. right? But if I sell the robot car to the fleet, they're going to it's a mechanical thing. They're just going to use it up mm-hmm. way faster. Right. It's going to be on the road more. So like they see that as part of the big sweep of their business model. I think the real question is the push the button, have the robot car show up. Literally anyone who can get their hands on a self-driving car first, like wins that race, right? Like there's that, but Uber has mm-hmm. already deployed them. So a bunch of people from our company were just in Pittsburgh for a big offsite uh, and a bunch of them took rides in Uber's test fleet of self-driving cars. And they all sent me Instagram stories or Instagram messages about it. And I was like, put it on the site. But they don't work for me. So they didn't, which is a real pain in the neck. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, uh, like, they're already doing it, right? Like, they're mm. they're already making that move. They see it. Um, ben Thompson, who's a terrific analyst, has, has actually written a bunch about this, that, like, Uber's big network of drivers is its main asset right now. Mm. So if you, like... Here in New York, there's there is Juno. There's five, there's like a million of them. If you open them, they're kind of empty. Even all the drivers have everything. Mm-hmm. It's still not as many drivers as Uber. So it's yeah. like faster to get a car because Uber has the cars in the road, or, and they have the drivers in the cars. That doesn't mean they're going to have the most self-driving cars first. And I think that's like the that's that asset needs needs to change. And like literally right now, the company is absent all leadership. Like it does not have a C-suite. What do you think? Like the, this whole Uberification. Like th- there is something. Like Uber is just huge. Has been hugely important to like all of culture and this idea that almost any service could possibly be solved by putting an app on your phone where you push a button and and then you're served. Um, is is that is that like? Is everything going to keep on getting Uberified? Because I feel like there's been a lot of these stories of, of startups in Silicon Valley that like put a lot of money up front early on to try to make it easy, and it kind of doesn't work out. Like, is that maybe not the perfect business model? Or I think it's a lot hard. I mean, here in I was just talking to Casey Newton about this. Maybe I should just have Casey talk about this next week on the show. Um, but here in New York, like this city runs on seamless. Like you push the button and food shows up and restaurants somewhat hate it. They somewhat need it. So there's like the tension, but seamless like dominates the market in New York. That as far as I can tell is not the case. Casey was saying in San Francisco where like food delivery is this like very competitive market with startups coming and going. 
Um, so I think it's just hard. I think it part of it just depends on population density, right? Like seamless is not great if you live in the middle of the country because there aren't as many restaurants, there's not as many people, and you've got a lot of like resources lying fallow. I think what's really interesting is Amazon just spent a whole bunch of money on Whole Foods. Um, yeah. Um, uh, $13.7 billion, and now they, they're going to have this network. If, if I had to bet on anything of if the Frightful Five getting into this game, it's like Amazon is going to just deploy the robot cars. Mm-hmm. And when the robot cars aren't shuttling people, they're going to be shuttling things. We were going there anyways. Want to ride? Yeah. <laughs> we're I we're mean, delivering these Whole Food groceries, <laughs> but you can sit in the back. If Amazon were to unveil a self-driving car, like they must be working on one, right? They have they, they yes. need to deliver stuff. That's their whole model. And they're, yeah, they, they got there's drones. like the drone beehive. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. They still need cars. I think it would be it would actually be like a nuclear bomb. Like because it would affect trucking, it would affect FedEx and UPS and the US Postal Service. Uh it would be a really big deal if Amazon was got serious about doing self-driving cars and, and actually got into that game. Because right when we talk about self-driving cars, we we forget that like the most important thing for a self-driving car to do is like move a shipping container around. It's not yeah. moving me to you know the bar. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the most important thing. But it turns out it's shipping containers. What if what if you put a hundred people in a shipping container and put a bar in it? And then I, I, I think that's actually just a Bud Light commercial. Right. Never mind. <laughs> and then you put the shipping container on a boat. I will say, Paul, yeah, yes. if you can't you see out verification, what was that? When you asked about the Uber Uberification, I thought you were going to go in the other direction, which is, wouldn't it be nice if we were talking about like the future of the, our infrastructure for our cities and small towns, not uh, run by a private company with either an asshole or nobody in charge, and instead we, you know, built like trains and public transit and you know bikes and I don't know. Like, there's like the there's M- a coarseness to it, that, like the MTA. Like, yeah, well, so, right, but the MTA has done a terrible job, right? Yeah. Like, how long does it take to get <laughs> really anywhere bad. in New York right now? Really right? bad. What if, I'm gonna just what say if we here, put our energy uh, into fairies fixing that? Fairies? <laughs> Fairy is wonderful. Well, oh, what if man. we put our energy into, into I see, I, I, think there, I think there's something that Uber showed that there, you have to be good at business to pull that this off. It is not just the idea that by making it such a, a transparent transaction you have for transportation to, for transportation thank you yeah. uh you have to be pretty efficient in some ways and sometimes you got to forget to pay a bunch of people in new york <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know that. all right let's end this heavy middle segment we are going to be covering the hell out of uber mm. uh the team over Recode, Kara and uh, Johanna, are covering the how to Uber. We should call out Mike Isaac, who is just blowing this beat up at the New York Times. He's doing, yep. doing a great job. So the Uber news is not – there's not – It's not going to end. It's not over, uh, especially as they, they start to hire and, and rethink what that company should be. And I'm, I'm interested in how a company that has you know clear – seems to clearly have harassment problems and yeah. like, a, like a toxic workplace, to use that word. How do you fix that? Yeah. And it's hard. And I think that's like, I think many people who listen to this show are interested in like working in a startup or starting a startup. That scale moment from the way you act when you're small to the way you act when you're big, like they failed that moment. Like that was, that's a challenge that companies face when they're successful and they blew it. But let me ask you this. 
What if you can find anything in seconds? Now you can with Tile, the tiny Bluetooth tracker that makes finding things easier than ever. Just attach Tile to your keys, wallet, laptop, even your bike, anything you don't want to lose. And finding things is easy. You just open the free Tile app on your phone, you see your lost item on the map, then you can quickly find your item by making the Tile ring, and you'll get it back in seconds. And if it's your phone that's missing, you just press the Tile and your phone rings, even if the phone's on silent. Every day, Tile finds over 2 million lost items. So join the millions who have used Tile to help find their lost stuff by acquiring and then using a Tile. There's like steps involved. But they're easy steps. The steps are go to gettile.com slash verge. You save up to 30% per Tile if you buy a multi-pack. You get free shipping. And it makes a perfect gift. So for a limited time, you get a free gift box with a multi-pack order. So go to gettile.com slash verge. That's gettile.com. One thing, slash, verge. All right, so we got to end. We got, this is like a little grab bag of stuff here at the end. We just got to bang through it. But first, mm-hmm. Paul. Every week. Every, without fail. The I consistency do, of this segment. I do a little segment I like to call my dinner with Andre. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, when I was off the internet, I watched my dinner with Andre on Blu-ray. And uh, I was found really. Wait, I, 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 what does Blu-ray add to Dinner with Andre? I'm just clarifying that <laughs> I wasn't are great. that I wasn't streaming it over the internet. Okay, okay. The resolution, higher bit rate. I mean, I, I would imagine I'd be happy watching that on VHS. Yeah, it's not like a. Well, sure. there is an explosion at the end. <laughs> <laughs> a flavor. <laughs> so, explosion of flavor. Part of one of the things in the conversation <laughs> <laughs> in my dinner with Andre is is. Andre's talking about having, or no, the other guy's talking about having an electric blanket and being like unsure if that's like a good thing because in a sense it's like, you know, um, shielding him from reality. He's not like, and it's just, you know, it's a weird technological thing to have so close to your body and stuff like that. So anyways, all that to say that uh, the smart duvet is back with a sequel (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> called the Smart Duvet Breeze. So the Smart Duvet is basically an inflatable du- duvet. And it, it makes your bed automatically by inflating to be rigid enough to unfold and cover your whole bed. So now they added this thing where you can set temperatures for each side. So in addition to the airflow that you'll use to inflate, it also has a separate thing where it can flow hot air or warm air through the duvet to control your temperature at night. And also you can choose separate temperatures for each side. If you are so lucky as to have someone who loves you yeah, and um, shares a bed with you. Is this the bed that makes itself? Cause we covered one of those too. Yeah. Yes. This is the second, this is the second take on that. I might be buying the hell out of this because we have lots of fights about the, the appropriate sleeping temperature. Yeah. The problem is the appropriate sleeping temperature is warm under the covers, cold air on your head. Yeah. Hmm. This doesn't achieve that. I'm more of a full burrito kind of dude. That's where I live. What's a full burrito? You just make yourself a little burrito. <laughs> <laughs> do you, do you, you make yourself a burrito. It sounds like you're eating a burrito. Yeah, it's like, it's like, like you were preparing a burrito, a burrito for, for consumption. It's all the trip fan in there. I'm not going any further with this idea. <laughs> The listener is free to to come to their own conclusion, but I that's right that's where I live. All right, <laughs> All right uh, Dieter, 
Lauren reviewed the iPad Pro 12.9. Her headline was yeah. a great iPad, one I won't buy. Yep, I I watched her use it uh, for like a week or so. It um, I forgot how just it's massive, that silly thing is. big. It I told her your angle should be that this is a desktop iPad. He's like, no, it's not. Like it's you carry it around and it's a pain to plug into an external monitor. Blah blah blah. So I'm like, she was right. That's not the angle. Um, but man, it is silly big. Yeah. If you don't need a giant canvas to draw on, you are crazy for not buying the 10.5. Huh. Strong That's words. That's where I live. Yeah. I don't know. I saw a designer here at, like up in our design floor using one the other day, and I was like, wait, I want one. Because it's so, like, it's such a bold thing. It's just, it's so, it's so confidently huge. Anyway. The 12.9 should allow for three app windows instead of two in uh, iOS 11. There you go. That would be a reason to get it. Yeah. Uh, Dieter, this one's just for, I'm just throwing it at you. Someone has beaten threes, which I know <laughs> probably strikes directly at your soul. Uh, I have hit a plateau in my three score plan lately. I can't get up above like a 30, 70. I got two 30, 72s, but I couldn't get them combined. I'm real sad about that. Um, my claim to fame, and I can't find it now, but there is a way to get the minimum possible score in threes yeah, where you that. never match anything. That was like a tweet. You, like, a tweet you get an award. Yeah, but Twitter uh, search is garbage, and so I can't find it. Wait, but, what? Yeah. You can, like, because, you know, the threes works by matching three to three or like one yeah, to two yeah. makes a three, blah, 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 blah. But if you start, if you start the board, you can, you know, play the game and never match anything until the board is full and to get the minimum possible score. And I did that. I like that. Twitter, Twitter search does suck. It's real bad. It's so bad. Uh, Last little two things, which are somewhat unrelated, but they're both about Microsoft. They're now letting service laptop owners revert to 10 S, which I think is fascinating. I but cannot, you have to factory reset, right? But yeah, but why would you do that? Just to like sell it? I'm so confused. You do it to sell it. You do it if you had uh, upgraded to Pro in order to get that one app that does a bunch of garbage in the back end that ultimately slows your computer down. Creative Cloud. <clears throat> Sorry. <laughs> um, and then they finally released a version for 10s that goes through Microsoft's processes so that it's actually able to be managed by the operating system to not kill your battery. Um, I don't think anybody will ever do this, but because I, I don't have faith that they're going to get all the apps they need in the 10s store or the Windows store for not, don't call them Metro, don't call them Modern, whatever the hell they're called now, Windows store apps. But it's a nice idea. Yeah. And I, like I think also it's probably for like IT managers who like made the mistake of letting one of their employees install some crap on a company computer and then I realized that they've made a terrible mistake when they need to hand it on to the next person. What what if this was just a toggle? What if you just said, I want to be in S mode? Like shut down everything that I've all the garbage. Oh, like safety mode. Yeah, kind of like a like like a yeah, like a booting to safety mode, but you just like push a button and like it just shuts down all non-approved non-S processes non like windows store mediated yeah right stuff and like i just i just need to be in s mode i i, I know it i gotta like make a it. lot of engineering work for dubious value probably yeah <laughs> like, well also like <laughs> it's windows it's my whole like, you can still run you can still run stuff that like ran on windows 3.1 on windows 10 right mm. <laughs> so i i don't know that that's an easy thing for them to do yeah it'd be nice 
Um, and then last one, this not really related, but I think it it touches on Dieter, your sort of future of computers. We still need a better term for that, like thread, dream pads, dream tabs. Yeah, dream tabs. Dream tabs. Uh, uh. This story has now popped up for us every six months, like on the dot. Uh, another board of bar examiners bans certain <laughs> devices, so lawsuits. You can't, can't make me talk about this. I can. Well, it's not the 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 lawyer part of it is actually not that interesting but so there's this terrible software program called soft test it's made by a company called exam exam soft it's what kids in universities used to take written exams and it is what you i actually i hand wrote my bar exam when i took it because i'm old which is sad for me um but it's when you take the bar exam you you write your answers in exam soft it's basically a lockdown word processor you push the button and sends it you can't run any processes six months ago they would not let people with the macbook pro with touch bar use it Mm. because the keyboard has suggestions so you could just program in macros for the answers right uh then they figure that out they issued instructions for locking up the touch bar this time hilariously uh, they don't have a fix for Windows 10 Creators Update, which is an automatic update that came out three months ago. Right. So <laughs> you, you got to like they're, – they're, <laughs> it's a real mess. And uh, a bunch of states – I think Tennessee is the one that we covered in particular – have banned the Surface Book uh, and Surface Pro devices because they have detachable, detachable keyboards. And that means you could in some theoretical universe put on another keyboard with macros. So uh, you would, that's would you be able to take? To, would you they're trying to keep like you from cheating. Carry in an iMac and use a Bluetooth keyboard. It has to have an attached keyboard. It has to. You cannot have a wireless keyboard or mouse. That is a thing. Why can't they just rent people like Chromebooks they, for the day? I don't know. They just yeah. won't let you do it. I don't know because they're not like the board of bar examiners, and it's like a wealthy, like right, like it's a very, I don't know. But how much does it cost to take the bar exam? Uh, I don't know. It took it. It's like ten years ago, man. But it's like hundred, <laughs> like multiple hundreds of dollars, right? Yeah, it's like three hundred bucks. I but mean, anyway, my make, point here make, is that require everybody to buy a hundred and fifty dollar Chromebook in order to take the bar exam. That'd be it's eight hundred dollars in Wyoming. It's two hundred and fifty dollars in New York. Yeah, it, there's a wide, wide. There's a huge range, from state to state. That's real. That by the way, that what you what you described is like supply and demand. Like there's a lot of people taking the bar in New York, so the price is low. But there's not a lot of lawyers in Wyoming, uh. so the price is high. Uh, Oh man, they're all. This is crazy. Yeah, they're all. It's and the rule fifty in Kansas, and you can never have failed it in Kansas. Yeah, and you're not allowed to take it again. No do-overs. Yeah, but so the point that all the only point I'm making is there are so many assumptions baked into like the world about what a laptop is, and the, this new wave of devices mm. is breaking those assumptions in ways that people have not yet considered, and that is like literally every six months we're doing a story that's like the bar exam is fucked up for a lot of people because this one company, this one software provider cannot keep up with the furious rate of hardware innovation. I think that, I just think that's super interesting. But again, I hand wrote the bar exam and would have killed to type it. So (laughs) there's that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think it's, I just think it's interesting. Like we don't, we just had Panos Panay on the show and he was like, this is what a laptop is. This is what people want. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing to me how many cultural administrative assumptions are made based on the form factor of this device that as the form factor significantly changes will go, like Walt has always said the phone is a new personal computer there's a world in which you walk in and you take the bar exam on your phone because you have a wireless keyboard but right not now the, the world is huh not with macros right but like right now that is not allowed mm-hmm. 
Um, so anyway, I just thought it was interesting. Last little note. Anything else we need to talk about this week? There's a lot going on this week, but like I said, it's yeah. all, all little news, all little bites. Next for week Uber, is also going to be crazy. Lots of little news next week. Hey, I love these shows. I like hanging with you guys. We'll do some segments. I'll do something with Casey next week. I'm like I said, I'm I'm down. To, we're we're down as a group to one podcast, but like me personally, I used to do this twice a week, and I do it once. So my instinct to just like talk to people on a microphone. Oh. On Wednesdays is like very high, so you'll you should see, just carry one around. Yeah, so you're gonna see a bunch more experiments happening. Uh, speaking of experiments, our engineer Andrew Marino is doing a bunch of weird stuff on Anchor, hmm. uh, which is a new kind of audio platform. So go download Anchor, subscribe to the Verge, check that out, give us some feedback. A lot of that stuff is going into the Verge Extras podcast feed. So if you don't feel like downloading Anchor and like doing the new app stuff, you can just subscribe to that feed. I would only ask that all of these things are pilots. They're new ideas for what Verge shows could be or grow into. So just give us feedback. Tweet it. Me, I'm at Reckless. Tweet it. Dieter, he's at Backlon. Paul is Future Paul. Andrew is Andrew Marino. <laughs> just, yes. fi- just tweet at us. <laughs> I'll, let, I'll make sure Andrew knows. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah and, Andrew Marino, but it's Andrew is with, with, an, with, with a U. U. yeah. But yeah, listen to the stuff. Uh, give us some feedback on it. We're definitely going to have more shows. We're just trying to figure out what the right thing to do is. It's, it's hard to replace a show like Control Delete. So we're, we're trying to get it right, and we're trying to try a bunch of ideas and make sure we pick something that you know speaks to people. Uh, can, I, can, I but, do a thing? can I do a thing? I got to do a thing. Do a thing. I want to say, say thanks to everybody at the Computer History Museum who are VergeCast fans who came by to say hi. I had to re-explain uh, why we say Paul at the end of the show. <laughs> yeah, we have a lot of new listeners and a lot of old jokes. <laughs> so. I just want you, everybody to know that I'd be fine if we stopped saying Paul. I get it that it's been it's been a really long time <laughs> since that joke made any sense, <laughs> and it oh. could be ostracizing for new listeners who I want to feel very welcome. Yeah, but it's also hilarious to say my name at the end. Of it. <laughs> like it's fine. It's lore. Maybe we'll just do a, a joke catch-up episode one of these days. Uh, anyway, if you do want to listen to other stuff, there's other great stuff uh, from our friends at Recode. Uh, Lauren Good, our great senior editor, does Too Embarrassed to Ask with Kara Swisher. Uh, Kara Swisher herself does Recode Decode, which is wonderful. And Peter Kafka does Recode Media, which is for your media nerd. Just listen to that one because it is absolutely fantastic. Uh, so that's all on iTunes. It's all everywhere podcasts are. Just go find it. You can go to iTunes.com slash The Verge. We ask you, just like leave reviews. We love your reviews. We actually pay attention to the feedback, although this show might not seem like it at all. But we do. <laughs> I swear we do. <laughs> wow. wow. I'm just saying. Uh, <laughs> I know we do. So with that in mind, go review our show. <laughs> Die. All right. I want to say five thank you stars. one more time. Definitely five stars. <laughs> five stars. Well, I listen to the five star ones. The ones that are like keep doing it exactly the same way. I know. We listen to those. I listen to the one star ones too. All right. Look, and I want to say thank you to Norton. If you have internet at home, uh, you probably have a router. If you have a router, then you got to protect yourself from the cyber criminals. So check out the Norton Core, which is your Wi Fi router. Go to norton.com slash vergecast. You save 30 bucks if you order before July 1. Uh, I already said the Twitter handles. That's it. That's the show. Rock and roll. Paul. Paul. Snip. Snip. <laughs>